It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He is Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes as we break down all that is happening with respect to the New York Giants and multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. You can also find us on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. And a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we continue to move forward with NFL free agency as the Giants have made a few transactions. So we'll go over the recent moves, and then we have some former Giants on the move as well. So a lot to delve into over these next 60 minutes. Paul, how are you doing? How's everything on your end? Very well, Lance. It's been a very busy college basketball weekend, but also a very busy NFL free agent weekend. It has indeed, and the Giants continue to address the offensive line. So, Paul, I think it's only appropriate we start there. We already obviously talked last week about the additions of John Feliciano as well as Mark Lewinsky, but they added another individual over the course of the weekend, and that is Jamil Douglas, a veteran offensive lineman, also has played guard. He's been with seven different teams over the course of his career, but here's another individual that has ties to the Buffalo Bills. He was with Joe Shane and Brian Dable as well as off. Offensive line coach Bobby Johnson last season. He was waived at the tail end of the season and wound up finishing out the year with Washington. And he spent the bulk of last season on the practice squad. But clearly the theme seems to be, Paul, they want to bring in competition. They want to bring in depth specifically on the interior of the line because they had a lot of injuries there last season. Nick Gates' status is up in the air. Will Hernandez is a free agent. And they had brought in a bunch of other guys whose futures obviously are up in the air as well. So, I mean, volume seems to be the theme, but it's understandable given the injuries and the issues they had on the interior last year. They are importing as much beef as they possibly can, given the fact that their cap constraints are pretty tight. You look at Douglas out of Arizona State, 6'4", 310 pounds, a fourth-round choice by the Miami Dolphins back in 2015. But here's the thing, Lance. Of his 50 games in the NFL, 11 of them were starts, and three of them were starts at center. I think that's also very interesting, too, because this shows another level of versatility. Again, we always talk about how interior linemen have to be able to, to be a bit flexible, but the fact that he's actually started NFL games at center and guard is certainly a bit of a positive. I'm completely with you, and I think, once again, that falls into the theme that I was talking about, Paul, and you also hit on. I think Joe Shane looked at the team last year, and this just just is how I feel connecting the dots, and he saw a lot of injuries. You know you can't bank on the same five guys, right, starting on the line the entire year, and Nick Gates' injury, which is a significant one. It's a leg injury. When Nick spoke to the media, Paul, right at the tail end of the season, and he was pressed upon how much work are you going to do, when do you anticipate being on the field, and Nick didn't really have any definitive idea of what his status was. So I think when you combine all of those factors, it makes sense that you have guys who can mix and match between the guard and the center positions entering this season. I don't think there's any doubt that Joe Shane came into this thing saying, hmm, Andrew Thomas is healthy. We know he's the staple at left tackle. 
we've got a bunch of question marks. We've got a bunch of injuries. And we all know that teams are going to take nine offensive linemen onto their 53 by the time the season starts. Well, you know what that means, Lance. It's not just about the front liners. It's also about the depth chart. And even if someone like Jameel Douglas does not become a starter, if he makes the 53 and is part of that group that is the 7th, 8th, or ninth offensive lineman on the roster, well, then that proves that they've upgraded the back end of the depth chart. And when you're the Giants, you, you can't ignore that because if, if you're so thin that you've got five guys who can play and then you've got nothing behind them, you're setting yourself up for disaster. So I think Shane understood that this wasn't just okay, we need a few starters on the line, he also understood that we're going to need some reserves as well. The entire room basically needed an upgrade is really what I'm trying to say in short. And that's what he's attempting to do right now. And on top of that, when you're talking about, Paul, the 6th, the 7th, the 8th offensive lineman, let's go to 9, more often than not, those guys have to be able to play multiple positions. Very rare that you're just going to have one of those backup offensive linemen be one guy at one spot. Granted, maybe he's just a tackle, but at least he has the ability to play right and left. He's a swing guy. But more often than not, the interior offensive linemen, you'd like to know they could play guard and center. And actually, John Feliciano, who could very well be the starting center, by him now experimenting with the center position for the first time in his NFL career, he now gives you, by default, Paul, more versatility as opposed to if he just came in and said, hey, I'm just going to continue to play guard, which is where all his NFL experience is. No, time out, Lance. Feliciano did play some center with the Bills. But, I mean, that was brief. It I mean, was it brief, wasn't, but, but the volume is very, very small. And as I understand that, that is the plan for him to be the opening day center here unless something goes awry. So I think what they're looking at now is for Feliciano to hold down that spot and to train as the center during the offseason with the potential that somebody like Douglas maybe can work in and get some snaps at practice and during the spring drills to potentially be someone who could slide in as a backup. I also think, obviously, they're going to keep tabs on the health of Nick Gates. We don't know exactly where that stands. So, and to be honest with you, Lance, let's not kid ourselves. The Giants could very easily draft at least a couple of linemen in, in the selection process, too. Absolutely. But the reason I was bringing up Feliciano's track record is in the event they bring in another center, which perhaps could come through the draft, as you just noted, or maybe Nick Gates is fully healthy and he's able to go week one. Hypothetical situation. If they wanted to just put Feliciano at guard, that possibility remains because obviously that's where the wealth of his NFL experience is. So that versatility, I think, helps. Mm -hmm. God forbid you come across another injury at some point during the season. Oh, there's no doubt. Now, one thing the Giants are very hopeful of, and, and I know Shane Lemieux uh, was progressing extremely well with his rehab at the end of last season. Uh, he felt very, very optimistic that he would be ready to go uh, coming up in 2022. He is strictly a guard. He is not anybody that 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 I think, well, even though he took practice snaps at Oregon uh, as a center, I don't think they want him to work there. I think that's one of the reasons why they've been signing these veterans who have some experience at center, albeit a little bit, because I think they're saying to Lemieux, you just be a guard for us. And if he's a swing guard, he could play either side. That's fine. But I suspect that's where, where his position's going to lie. 
Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here, Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. So that's at least the new additions coming in with respect to the Giants. On the other side, individuals that were on the roster last year that are moving on, we learned this morning that Lorenzo Carter has agreed to a deal with the Atlanta Falcons, according to multiple reports. Carter also posted on Instagram last night pretty much a goodbye note to the New York Giants, so the writing was on the wall there. But Carter was somebody, Paul, we talked about a lot on the shows leading up to the start of free agency. And I believe you and I were on the same page where if there was any guy who'd be willing to bring back on a prove-it type of deal, Carter, to me, fit that bill. I thought there was upside given the sacks and the production he had late last season. Still a risk in terms of him staying healthy and whether or not he could duplicate that. But ultimately, the Falcons offered him an opportunity. And he goes home because he played high school, college ball in Georgia and that's a team that also can utilize some pass rushing help under Dean Pease, who's the defensive coordinator. So a new opportunity and a new chapter for Lorenzo Carter as he moves forward in 2022. You know, coming off of the Achilles and then having a, a sprained ankle issue last season, he wound up finishing strong, a sack in each of the last four games. In fact, had five sacks total over those final four games of the regular season. And he had explained to me during that time that he really felt like physically he was all the way back, felt as good as he had, and was very, very much hopeful of trying to use that as a springboard for 2022. Uh, it won't be here with the Giants. Uh, you saw the Instagram posting. He was thrilled to be a Giant. He was very happy to be here. Would obviously have liked to have had more production, uh, certainly between scheme and some injuries, and then some very quiet games he did not put up the kinds of numbers that would necessarily uh, you know, force you to bring him back, although I do think the Giants had interest, and I know he certainly had interest in staying. But as you mentioned, he's going home. You know, He played at Georgia. <laughs> Let's not forget that. He played at Georgia and was a very popular figure there. So for him to be wooed by uh, the Atlanta Falcons is, is not necessarily shocking to me. Well, and that's why you have to read between the lines. Sometimes players don't necessarily make decisions solely based on the finances. It could also be based on the environment and the opportunity to be close to family and friends. Lorenzo obviously has not talked publicly since, but I'm sure that played a significant role when the Falcons showed interest and he's looking at the zip codes. I'm not surprised in the end if that was a big swinging factor as to why he ultimately chose the Falcons. And now it looks like, by my count, Carter's the fourth giant that was on the 2021 roster that now has gone elsewhere. We have Evan Ingram joined the Jaguars. Austin Johnson signed with the Chargers. Logan Ryan, who was released, is now with the Bucks, And then Lorenzo Carter is going to join them. So three players on the defensive side of the ball, one player on the offensive side of the ball. This is the nature of the beast when it comes to free agency. But the other thing to also take into consideration, and we talked about this, Paul, during the offseason, is... When you have a new regime and you have a new coaching staff, there's no allegiance to any of the players that were previously on the roster. Not to say that the new evaluators didn't think highly of some of these players, but Joe Shane didn't draft Lorenzo Carter. And Joe Shane didn't sign a bunch of those other free agents. Same thing with Brian Dable. He wasn't here to coach them. And I think it's a little bit easier to part ways with those players when you don't have as strong of a tie to them. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, we all know the history of this league. Guys who drafted other guys tend to have a little bit more loyalty. And there'll be a little bit more of a percentage chance that they might hold on to that guy. But uh, no, I, I, look, I, I agree with you 100%. 
I, I think it's very possible that, uh, that you know, he would re- be retained. We talked about it if the number was right. But again, the Giants are really tight up against the cap, Lance. So I think as you look at the possibilities here, it may have been the possibility of going home. It may have been the possibility of making more money because the Falcons maybe put more chips on the table for him. Uh, I think either one of those things are, are are probably very likely. And for all we know, too, maybe in terms of talking to their coaching staff, maybe he felt that the role was something that he could better flourish in if he went there. Um, you know, there there are a variety of reasons why a player may decide that, you know, even though uh, it could have worked out with his old team, there is a better opportunity to go elsewhere. And I think when you look back at Carter's Giants tenure, the unfortunate part is, unfortunately, the injuries are going to overshadow it. When you look back, you never really got to see truly him scratch the surface of his potential because the 2020 season was really a lost season. As you noted, he had the ruptured Achilles in week five. And then last year, with the recovery from the Achilles on top of the ankle injury, I don't think he was ever fully healthy out of the gates to say, hey, I'm back to my old self. So you talk about a 2018 draft pick. He's got a four-year contract. You don't have the fifth-year option. You had two years to see some development. And then the back end, unfortunately, the injuries overshadowed all of that. So that is the latest transactions in terms of who's coming in and who's leaving the Giants organization. We'll certainly get into more as we move forward here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. In the meantime, let's open up the phone lines, 201-939-4513. Jason is in New Haven, and he joins us. What's happening, Jason? All right, fellas. How you guys doing? Doing all right. What do you got for us? Thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to bring up a few points for some of the sign-ins over the uh, last few days and just to get your feel. Um, I thought the... um, Major one to me was the backup quarterback, Taylor. Um, I think it was a great signing for three reasons. Um, after last year's debacle, um, I think we we absolutely needed a solid uh, quarterback play, backup quarterback play. Um, and he can act as a bridge just in case we do draft a quarterback. Maybe not this year, but if Daniel Jones doesn't work out and we you know we decide to draft a new quarterback, um, Tyrod could be that um, kind of that bridge quarterback um going in the future um as far as the other drafts uh as far as the other pickups uh i thought they were pretty good um i know we weren't gonna, gonna get any a-list players which is fine um but we did um add some depth to the line instead of waiting to training camp kind of like what we did last year where we were scrambling to pick up players and trade for players so i actually think this free agent um period has actually been uh you know, hasn't been anything spectacular, but low, you know, low cost proven uh, players. Um, and I wanted to see what you guys thought about that. Or do you want me to finish my next point? Well, well to be can, fair, yeah, they didn't have much point. choice because there wasn't a lot of. Room <laughs> I was going to say spend. the same thing. It's <laughs> exactly what I was going to say. Right, right. And I did want to say I don't know how you guys feel about it, but to me, after just you know looking at everything on television, I don't know how true a lot of these numbers are when it comes to these big contracts and that whole kind of thing. I'm sure there's some um, play with some of the numbers. But to me, the myth, I mean, the the cap is a myth to me. I know you guys probably know better than I do since you guys are in the business, but if a team really wants a player or whatever the case may be, yeah, I know that uh, Mr. Shane said that he doesn't want to kick the can down the road. But um, sometimes it's a necessary evil. You don't want to do it too much. But um, to me, um, I think, I don't know how – how um, below the cap we are, but um, 
um, for us to be signing all these players, I don't know if there's a trade coming behind it. Um, I don't know what's going on with Bradbury. It's kind of been quiet on that, which is actually kind of good. I like that there hasn't been any um, talking or rumblings about Bradbury as far as trades or whatever the case may be. Um, so I do like that. But to me, the, the cap is just a miss because some of these numbers I see some of these players are getting is just, I mean, out of, some of these quarterback numbers are just getting crazy. Uh, and God bless those guys for getting the money and doing what they got to do. But um, to me, the cap is just, is just I, I don't know, it seems like a myth to me. Third point, the draft. Um, let me get your guys' opinions. I personally would like to stay at five and seven um, because I think we need an influx of top-level players. Um, what, 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 what would you guys do as far as – I know everything has to be with a trade partner. If nobody wants to move up, then you got to stay. But would you guys be willing to move out of five or seven? Would you want to move out of just one? I know things are just – you know, it's hard to say because we don't know what their board looks like. Uh, we don't have the privy of that information. But would you guys be okay with, you know, if you guys were in control moving down, if there was a trade partner, and how far would you guys move down? And uh, I'll take the call off the air. You guys have a good week. All right, Jason. Appreciate the phone call. A lot to unravel there. <laughs> so let's start with his first few points. I think you and I both responded to the initial point in terms of, well, the reason why the Giants haven't made huge splashes is because obviously they didn't have a lot of flexibility. As far as, Paul, his point about the cap, I've said this time and time again, the salary cap is fluid. Everybody gets caught up in what the cap looks like for a team three weeks before free agency starts. Then they make a bunch of transactions, trades, and the numbers change. Also on top of that, remember, the cap went up this year. So that gave teams all some additional leeway too. And GMs, they may say publicly that they don't want to push money back to future years because then it's going to give you another headache. But sometimes they're forced to do that, Paul, when all of a sudden you're negotiating with the agent, there's an attractive opportunity to get a player. And in order to do that, to create some more flexibility, you have to then kick the can down the road. So public statements, I'm not saying they don't hold any water, but that ties into the fluidity of the salary cap that the way you look at it Tuesday could be very different in how you look at it on Friday. Very correct, Lance. And I've got a bail out here. Matt Breida, by the way, has, uh, has signed with the Giants, free agent running back, a veteran from San Francisco, Buffalo, and Miami, and they need me to go talk to him as he uh, is welcome to Big Blue. I'm going to leave you and the folks uh, to chat the rest of the way. Thanks. Okay. Sounds good, Paul, and that is a good teaser in terms of Matt Breida being official, and we'll certainly get into that in a second. I just want to piggyback off of the last caller so we can address that, and certainly then we'll squeeze in as many calls as possible as we move forward. But the salary cap myth point, once again, I don't read too much into the numbers because things consistently change. Case in point, as somebody that covers the NFL the Green Bay Packers, they were in a very difficult cap situation entering free agency, and then they restructured some deals. They parted ways with Zedarius Smith. They just traded Devontae Adams. So then all of a sudden, now Green Bay is in a healthier spot cap-wise compared to where they were two to three weeks ago. So that's another example to not get too caught up in the numbers because I think as the caller was alluding to, if you're a front office executive and you really want a player, if there's a will, there's a way, the old phrase is, and I think that's extremely suitable to what we see in the NFL. The last point before we move on was with respect to the draft and the five and the seventh spots and whether or not, in my personal opinion, would you want to move on from those two and maybe package them for another pick or move down from one of them. 
I would agree with the caller's sentiments. I think the Giants are in a position where they need an influx of game-changing talent and also talent that's not going to cost you a boatload of money compared to free agency. I think you accomplish that by hanging with the fifth and the seventh overall picks. However, if somebody blows you away and they really want a quarterback, which I don't think is going to happen, but let's go down the hypothetical road and you can move down from seven or five and you don't move far enough where you're still within striking distance of a player or two that are high on your board, I have no problem doing that. But I'm not necessarily a big fan of taking five and seven, packaging that for a splash move because now you're losing out on the opportunity to really add some game-changing talent at multiple positions or the same position. But if some team approaches them and has a love affair with a quarterback, because that's really the one major position that I think gives teams ammunition to want to move up, and the Giants say to themselves, all right, if we can move from seven to 11 or 12, and you don't think you're going to lose out on another player or two, then do it, especially if it gives you additional draft capital either this year or next year. I have no problem with that, but I do think that that would be the only way that I would move down. If you love a guy that you could get at five and seven and you're content with that, you run up the card, you make the selection, and you don't think about it. They need some heavy artillery at multiple positions on this roster right now because they're young. You've got new schemes. It also would be two guys that you could develop and grow. It makes a lot of sense for this team to be built through the draft. And I've said this more often than not. Not only is it the 2022 class, it's also the 2020 and 21 classes in conjunction with 2022. So you add two more first-round picks to what you already have, and you get now the new coaching staff's hands on these players. You hope the development of all three of those classes takes you up a notch in conjunction with free agency. And with I know respect those, those to, quarterbacks are having their pro days this week, so that might uh, change some teams' perspective. on That could very well do that too, Pearson. There's no doubt about it. It could very well change how teams are looking at the quarterback position and then whether or not a team that was on the fence for a guy now all of a sudden loves him and wants to make an aggressive move, 100%. There's no doubt about it. That could very well change things. What it could also change things is, God forbid a quarterback gets hurt between now and the draft through OTAs once spring workouts begin, or a team winds up trading away somebody that we did not anticipate. For example, what happens if the Falcons trade Matt Ryan? Does that then all of a sudden change Atlanta's thinking in what they're going to do with the quarterback position because they supposedly were aggressively in on Deshaun Watson? It didn't work out. So, yeah, I think that's an absolute valid point that that could absolutely change the conversation. One other thing I wanted to get to before we reopen up the phone lines is what Paul had mentioned. Matt Breida, it is official. The Giants have announced that they've added the veteran running back who has been with San Francisco, Miami, and then Buffalo last year. He did not play a lot of snaps with the Bills last year because he was their third running back. They had multiple guys ahead of him. He was a special teamer. He got some playing time late in the New Orleans game which was the Thanksgiving game. That was because there were a bunch of injuries on the depth chart. So Breida is your perfect complimentary back who can certainly take on his fair share of snaps at running back. He also has special teams value. And remember, the Giants moved on with their backup running back, so they have a need to add depth at that position. And it's no surprise that 
He has familiarity with Dable's offensive system. Joe Shane has seen him up close and personal. It's a relationship-oriented league. You're going to turn to guys that you have pre-established relationships with, especially if they have an interest in staying within the same scheme and the same coaching staff. So Breida is a depth chart move behind Saquon Barkley, and he's a guy that has versatility in terms of catching the ball out of the backfield, running with it, and also contributing on special teams. And you need your backup running back to do that if you're going to bring him in and he may have limited snaps. And just to emphasize Breida and his usage and his numbers when you look at where he came from in terms of the Buffalo Bills last season, he played 13% of the offensive snaps. Very small. 81 total snaps. On special teams, he was utilized for 24% of the snaps. And then in Miami the previous year, 19% of the offensive snaps he played, 24% on special teams. As I'm looking over his numbers, his career high in snaps came in 2018 with the Niners, 39%. That was the highest snaps that he played. Now, it was 364 snaps, but outside of that, he's always been in the 20s or in the teens. That's been pretty much his track record throughout the three teams that he's played for. Lance Meadow with you here, Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live as we move forward till 1 p.m. Eastern. A reminder, Giants fans, you can secure your season tickets for the 2022 season today. For only $100, limited seats are available. You can speak with a Giants ticket representative now. Become a season ticket member by calling 888-NYG-1925. Let's reopen up the phone lines at 201-939-4513. Cliff is in New York, and he joins us on BBKL. What's happening, Cliff? Hello, Lance. How you doing? I'm doing very um, well. How about yourself? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Um uh, I'm, I'm still interested in talking about the picks five and seven, but before that, you know, watching the news last week, which I found very gratifying, you know, I, I don't need big splashes to make me happy. I, I see a more competitive team already, and, and I think uh, we might look back at the first game of the season and say, gee, these guys were all here on March 18th on the offensive line, you know. I think that's a real possibility, and it won't be a terrible thing and that I could see uh, in the draft picking up a couple of guys that compete and maybe take over during the season that might be better. I, I mean, this is an amazing uh, piece of progress. And I'm also amazed that we keep having money to spend, uh, even though they're not big splash guys. It seemed like we were down to zero. And I wonder if we need a shout-out for Kevin Abrams. Uh, you know, maybe we have an edge uh, from having a guy with over 20 years of experience with the cap. Uh, to, to, to support his management and make decisions faster, you know. And also Ronnie Barnes and his team. I mean, we, we, we had this progress in, in comebacks with, with Blake and Sterling, you know, that they could sign, and they must have been okay to give him those deals. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really happy about all that. But um, as far as the five and seven goes, I, I was never really thinking that, uh, you know, we would package the two picks. I was just thinking that with the strength of, of Joe Shane being a draft guy and, and everybody wants to build through the draft even before he ever got here when he was that, uh, I want him to have as many picks as possible in, in two and three. And um, I, I think I must be missing something about the value of first-round picks even in a year when, um, when um, the, the, the elite players didn't seem to be in, a, in as great a number in the top ten, you know. Um, but apparently you, 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 teams that have a first-round pick don't look 
for suitors. They wait for people to come to them. Uh, because well, that's not necessarily be true, Cliff. I think it depends on whether or not the team has the urgency of moving out of that spot. If they're not enamored, if you have the fifth overall pick, and I'm just talking hypothetically, and you don't love any yeah. of the guys that are going to be up there, maybe you pick up the phone and you call a team that's right behind you at six or seven, and you see whether or not they have any interest in jumping ahead of you, and then maybe you could get an additional second-round pick. It goes both ways. It's not necessarily you're just waiting by the phone for somebody to call. All I was pointing out is that normally... If you look at track record in recent and past draft history, the teams that are aggressive and make a move to go upwards in the first round are normally teams that want a quarterback. And this year's right. class doesn't have a lot of hype surrounding that position. So that's why I don't think the Giants are in a great spot where they're going to all of a sudden need to put the phone off the hook because they're getting overwhelming calls. Now, all it takes is one. It's possible somebody's stock rises. But as it stands right now, I'd be very surprised to see multiple teams want to move up to grab a quarterback. Absolutely. But but what do you do you think that Joe Shane would be thinking, boy, I'd love to have maximum uh, draft capital in the first two years in terms of numbers of picks in the first three rounds? Would, he, would it be a motivation to, to shop first-round picks to get more twos and threes both this year and next? Well, I mean, they already have a high volume of picks overall, especially in terms of the top 80. So I don't think they're in a precarious spot. And Cliff, my response to your hypothetical is more of you need to ask yourself, is it better to have volume or is it better to have the increased chance of getting a tremendous playmaker that's going to have an impact on your roster? If I was to pose both of those scenarios to you, what would your response be? Volume's great, right? It's great to have 53 guys on a roster. But of the 53 guys on the roster, if you only feel really good about 12 of them, who cares that you have 53 guys? I want to feel good that I've got half my roster that I could put out there. They can make plays consistently and change the outcome of contests. So my answer is you increase your chances of finding those players at five and seven versus selling me on getting an additional second or third round pick. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned impact because I think we, we came to that word after talking about all pros and uh, um, Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl first and then all pro as being what we really meant. And that what we don't think we need Pro Bowl or all pro to have an impact. And, and I'm all for the impact players. I'm, I'm glad we, we, we started using that word. Um, and, um, but it seemed like this year's draft was so deep that there would be more impact players in the second round than, than usual. And I also heard somebody say something that I had long suspected that after number 20 in the first round, they weren't usually first round picks anyway. So I uh, apparently uh, got misled somewhere along the line, but, um, I'm not so sure, um, that, um, you know, I, I was always, I was willing to get out of the first round altogether um and i've been it's it's been modified a little bit but you know even those top four picks that uh, we didn't think we would get but now maybe one or more of them would be available w weren't those guys not quite uh, as as uh w weren't those guys not necessarily top 10 picks in recent years you're talking about the players that the giants have already selected in previous years are you referring to not just the Giants, but everybody else. I mean, well, we I mean, that's a very generic statement, Cliff. I, I think when you talk about, you know, guys beyond 20 not being first round value, it depends on a team's board. Yeah, maybe there's a team that says after 20, 
I don't view any of these guys as first-round caliber. But then you're going to find another team's board, and they're going to say, our first round goes down to 28. So, I mean, that, that's a very broad statement to be made. I don't know, you know, once again, where you read that, and that could have just been an opinion of a draft analyst and not necessarily a mainstream thought. And I'm going to let you go on that note, Cliff. I appreciate the phone call. I don't think the Giants are in a position where they can afford to not add first-round value at 5-7 and seven to this roster. And that's more of a reason why if they stay put and they grab two guys, I think that that would be a huge lift and a huge bonus to this team. They're not at the spot where you say, well, let's add volume but sacrifice impact. And as far as the last caller's point, yeah, impact doesn't have to come in the form of Pro Bowl and All-Pro. There's plenty of great players in the National Football League that have never made Pro Bowls or All-Pro. And we could debate at nauseum Pro Bowl value in general considering fan vote influences that as well as a popularity contest. I think probably All-Pro holds a little bit more value because of the process. You want guys, that's why I use the term impact, game changers. You can use that. You want guys that are going to come in year one and make their presence felt. That's what you need right now for this roster. If you eliminate one of the first-round picks to add another second and a third rounder, I'm not saying you're not going to get impact in the second and third round. I mean, there's plenty of guys that have been drafted in those rounds that have come in year one. But I think based on the mathematics and draft history, the chances of the level of impact being the same as a fifth or a seventh overall pick decrease as you move down in the draft. I mean, that to me is stating the obvious, but sometimes that needs to be further emphasized. So a number of people who want to do the wheeling dealing, I think you do the wheeling and dealing if you feel by dropping slightly, you're still within striking distance of a player from a value standpoint that can come in year one and help you. That has to be in the back of your mind. You don't add picks for the sake of adding picks because you're saying to yourself, well, you know, our salary cap restraints, we need to add more players on the back end of the depth chart. I think they have enough picks as it stands right now. They can add guys on the back end of the depth chart. Volume's not a problem for the Giants. Impact, though, that needs to be the emphasis. Let's head back to the phone lines. Tone is in Colorado joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Tone? Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. I uh, appreciate it. Not a problem. Thanks for making the call. So what do you got for us? Of course. So this has been a uh, topic of discussion for years, even before um, Daniel Jones has been here. Um, the offensive line, it's been a problem for us since before our first Super Bowl against the Patriots in 2007, 2008. And my question is, um, with the additions to the offensive line, and if it's solid and it looks solid like, as always it is on paper, do you believe that Daniel Jones can really flourish into a, a great quarterback? Because I see highlights in him, and I do see where he makes mistakes. And this is where I take it back to the discussion in previous years when Eli was here. Uh, all of his interceptions and missed calls and missed cues weren't always on him because he never had the time to really make the proper throws. And same thing with the running back, um, not having the holes to make those runs. So, I just want to see where your thoughts on the improved offensive line and where it will take us in the next season. <laughs> well, as far as quarterback performance, to your point, it's certainly a 
variety of different factors. Eli had years where he had a volume of interceptions that were a result of deflections off of wide receivers' hands. Now, was that because it was a bad pass or it was because a wide receiver was not in the right spot? I think there's a combination of factors. If you look at Daniel Jones's turnovers, some are as a result of, hey, he's had no time, he's pressured, it's going to impact the throw, and other times it's maybe, hey, slide, don't try to press the envelope, don't try to force it. So I think you could point to a variety of factors. Clearly, improved offensive line is synonymous with improved quarterback performance because they have more time to assess the field and they can make better decisions and they're not consistently under pressure. As the offensive line stands right now, Tone, I think if we were to just project the starters, and it's very early, so you know, don't pen this in, but you're looking at Andrew Thomas at left tackle, maybe Shane Lemieux at left guard, depending on his health coming off the knee injury, John Feliciano, your starting center, because we don't know about Nick Gates' status. Mark Lewinsky comes in to play right guard. And there's a question mark at right tackle. We don't know who the starting right tackle is right now. Nate Solder's a free agent. Matt Pear tore his ACL in week 16. I know they re-signed Corey Cunningham. But right now, I don't think anyone is even penciled in. So we don't know who the right tackle is. As far as analysis, Andrew Thomas, if he stays healthy, I think you feel good about what you're working with at left tackle. But the interior of the offensive line is really going to be brand new. Feliciano, I was talking with Paul earlier. He doesn't have a wealth of experience at center. So you're talking about a guy really playing a new position. And sometimes there's a transition period that comes with that. Glowinski, solid ad. He helped that Colts offensive line protect Phillip Rivers, Carson Wentz. They ran the ball effectively, so you really like his run-blocking ability and hopefully helping Daniel Jones in that department. And Shane Lemieux, we haven't really seen much of Shane Lemieux because last season was a lost year. He didn't play because of the knee injury that he suffered in training camp. And then the previous year, you're not talking about an individual that got a lot of time. It was really the second half of the season when Will Hernandez was dealing with COVID and so forth. So the jury is still out, Tone, to answer your question with respect to how much this offensive line has improved. They've added veteran experience, and they added one guy who has familiarity with the Bills scheme, which Dable's going to implement here. And Glowinski, I think, is an extremely underrated offensive lineman because the Colts were solid in terms of pass protection and running the ball. So I do like what they did with some veteran experience, but as far as this unit overall, you're going to have a lot of new pieces, a lot of guys that have not played next to one another. And with that, at least in the early stages, certainly come some question marks. Right. But there I mean, are I'm solid not... pieces there that can work together. That I Sure. Because when they played with their teams, they were solid, like you said, with the Colts. Because their run scheme was great especially with Taylor behind there and Wentz working together. So sure, but thing, I mean, like, in fairness, and once again, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. I'm just trying to be realistic. I mean, the Colts did have Quentin Nelson. They had Ryan Kelly. I mean, those were their two other interior offensive linemen. Those guys played a significant role as Mark Lewinsky in helping them run the football. And Nelson, we're talking about a Pro Bowl, All-Pro type of player. And Kelly's been a solid center for many years with the Colts. So, you know, those two guys helped as much as Glowinski did. That. All right, Tone. Appreciate the phone call. Yeah, you got it, man. Thanks so much for weighing in as we move along here on Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. With respect to the offensive line, it's the nature of the beast. If you look at other teams and how they've gone about assembling a group with draft picks as well as veterans, you know, sometimes automatically instantaneous, it clicks. You see the chemistry right away, and a lot of that is going to be built through the spring 
and training camp. Other times, it takes the first quarter of the season, and then all of a sudden, they start to hit their stride in week five, week six. Now, Buffalo, for example, Joe Shane was there when little by little they brought in some veteran pieces to reassemble that offensive line. And Josh Allen played a significant role in helping them take a significant step up because of his development in his efficiency through the air and then also his ability to run because he's built very differently than most quarterbacks. But the Bills, if you go back, they weren't a dominant rushing attack with respect to their conventional running backs. If anything, I remember you know, from covering the league all last year, I was calling a lot of times for the Bills to not lean so heavily on Josh Allen to get back to a little bit of Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, who are their two main backs, and pound the football a little bit more. And later in the season, you, saw, you showed some flashes of that through the Bills' offense, but you didn't necessarily see it consistently enough. Now, that doesn't mean that Dable's going to run the identical scheme with the Giants. It's different personnel, but they were not known with the Bills as being a run-heavy, conventional running back attack. A lot of the run game was a product of the quarterback. And I've said this more often than not. I don't think the Giants should put Daniel Jones in the same position as Josh Allen because Daniel Jones is just not built like Josh Allen. So you need the Saquon Barkleys and the Matt Breedas who they just signed to do some of the heavy lifting on the ground, which to me is a little bit different than what they asked their quarterback to do in Buffalo. Let's head back to the phone lines. OG is in D.C., and he joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, OG? Greetings, greetings. Good show, Lance, this show. Uh, first, I just wanted to kind of chime in. I wanted to pick up what, what Cliff was trying to tell you about where he got it. He got that general statement from actually John. John had an interview this weekend. I forgot the gentleman's name, but he basically said, he said, yeah, so basically most people say, only give a first-round grade to about the first 20 players in any given draft. So John made it clear it really was kind of a general census amongst, you know, all scouts that most most drafts only have about a first-round grade on the first 20 players. So I think that's what he was saying. Well, but, but in, in clarification, was, though, just to classify this correctly, was that a statement about this year's draft class, or you're talking about pretty much in history no. in general? Yeah, the way I read it, way I read it, but John, I could be wrong. John said it, but the way I read it, that he was basically saying in any given draft, basically, he said, yeah, you know, and I forgot exactly how it was brought up, what context was brought up, but in the which way he read it, I definitely read it like they were talking about in any given draft. So I, 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 you have to look at the interview he did this weekend. I forgot the, the guy's name he interviewed with. I think it was in the huddle, but uh, clearly that was that was disgusting. I think that's where Cliff got it from. Okay. Well, I didn't hear it, so that's why I'm going based on your word and where Cliff may have received that intel. I would say just in terms of my personal opinion, and once again, I want to hear exactly what was said so I can classify it with the proper context, but I think that's still a very Mm -hmm. generic statement if we're going to apply it to every draft. If that's the consensus view for this year's draft, so be it. But there are drafts, and even if you look based on who's been taken sometimes at 25 or 26, there's been quality talent that teams have found there. So that's why I don't necessarily buy in yeah, that once yeah. you get beyond 20, that now all of a sudden you're settling for a second-round talent. I wouldn't buy into it as gospel either, but I, be- I was just saying I believe that's where he got it. Because I kind I got of was you. like, oh, wow, that's interesting. It's true. But his bigger picture, which is one I agree with, which is one 
that I will think is on his philosophy, which he, you know, he didn't really make that bit stronger point, and maybe I'm running with my own point about moving back. And I really feel like, too, first of all, I do like the moves that we're doing, and I really feel like we could move back and get more picks. And really, he just trusts Shane to make those picks. So he was, that's why I think that's why he kind of went into, you know, trying to say it really isn't that much of a talent and that this is a pretty deep draft, so why not have more shots of it? And and that's why I would go back to my biggest and strongest point because I don't care what all we do. If we don't have no quarterback, we ain't going to do nothing. And that's why I'm like, you know what? Everybody can say what they want about this draft class, but one thing I know about this draft class is like every other, the quarterbacks always get downplayed until the last minute. And to me, people should get fired if any one, either one of these quarterbacks goes to a playoff game in the next two years and we don't pick them, you should get fired because it's not about being a genie or anything like that. It's about actually getting another shot at it. So I think we ought to move back and we need to pick what other quarterback we feel most comfortable with. And if we need to pick one next year, then we pick one next year. But I don't want to hear this tired of excuse. We're never going to have more picks than what we have now and or have the opportunity to. And, and the reality is this, you know, I don't want to be in a position next year where we don't, where we don't have to, you know, do all out to, to get a quarterback if we don't have him in this year. So we don't have one until we actually have one. So you pick a quarterback and stop trying to downplay it. You just got to do it. You just got to do it. So well, but I, see, I, I where I disagree is I don't one. think you should take a quarterback for the sake of taking a quarterback. There's got to be a lot of well, conviction and confidence in that. Yeah. And, and here's, here's the other thing that I think is important. I'll let you continue. The other thing that's important in terms sure. of your statement about if you see another team take a quarterback this year, hypothetically, and that quarterback goes on to have a good career or gets his team to the playoffs, mm-hmm. remember, the environment shapes the quarterback. Okay, let's not be naive. What I'm saying is, is that if Baker Mayfield, for example, Baker Mayfield is probably going to be traded because the Browns just got Deshaun Watson. But Baker was with a team that had multiple coaches and multiple offensive coordinators in his first four years in the NFL. You do that to any quarterback, that's going to have some negative repercussions, regardless of what team they're on. So let's not fool ourselves. The environment, meaning just because the Giants would have taken a guy, doesn't mean that he all of a sudden would have thrived. all kinds of pieces, and Baker wasn't that dude. If your quarterback is that dude, you're going to know he's that dude. So, no, I mean, the quarterback, I played D1, man. Let me tell you something. That changes the complex of your whole team. That's why y'all went into it too. Yeah, players take a break, you know, pay cut and all that stuff to play with certain players. So, yes, the thing is this, Lance, at the end of the day, it's one player. And you won't, I mean, you basically got a 50% chance of getting it right. So you pick whichever player you feel like is the best. And you, and how about developing somebody for crying out loud for once, man? Why does everybody have to come in here, Joe Montana, before we say, I see that this Well, but that's I'm my point. My, but but like. see, OG, my point see? is that in order to develop them, you need consistency in your environment. So, for example, Daniel Jones, how many OCs and different head coaches has he so far worked with? It's no different than Baker Mayfield. That's my point. If you want to develop a know, quarterback, you, you need to provide stability too. for that quarterback. I agree, but the thing is, if he's, he's here, his health, we don't even really have, a, you know, I kind of you know, think Tyron is going to end up starting. Really, really, just be, to get to play, I think health could really be an issue at this point. So the reality is this, we've had three quarterbacks before. Worst case scenario, you've got a backup long term. So honestly, I just, it's unexcusable. It's unexcusable not to pick a quarterback unless you know you got one. And it doesn't matter who you pick. So let me tell you, like, and I do think it's a shame that somebody ought to get fired if we don't pick a quarterback in any one of these. Let me ask you this. Be- before I let you go, here's a fair question. Do you sure. think the Giants are just a quarterback away 
from taking a significant step? No. Then you just answered. Then OG. Oh no, no, you just answered. You just answered your own question. Listen, See, that's my point. Listen, that's my point. Listen, I think we. I think we're just about maybe that and the coaches too. So I think you know. Honestly, uh, that, that, you're backpedaling. You are backpedaling. Oh, there is. You're 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 sliding on ice right now. Okay, I'm sorry. Listen, you're... I'm gonna let you go because you let me go long enough. I'm, I appreciate. We'll pick this up later on. Larry. Fair enough. Great All show. Right. Thank All right, OG, I appreciate the All phone right. call. Right, you got it. And that's my point. My counter to that is where you say if you don't feel that you have your quarterback, that you should then take your quarterback then you have to believe that if we change the quarterback and we insert the quarterback and we don't consider everything else we have around the quarterback, that's it. Completion. Project's over. And I don't think that's the case. So that's more of a reason why it makes no sense to take a quarterback for the sake of taking a quarterback when you realize you have other areas on your team that you need to address and think about what you could do with five and seven to help other facets of your team as opposed to utilizing. And once again, I'm going based on a hypothetical of the last caller. Let's say you utilize one of those picks on a quarterback. Okay, so now you have Daniel Jones, you have another quarterback, you have Tyrod Taylor. Last time I checked, none of those three guys are playing and helping you in any other area. So now you have cut down to one impact player that we're talking about at, let's say, seven or vice versa. And that one player is not going to do enough to help your team's cause. So that alone, forget Daniel Jones, that alone is a reason why I don't see a great deal of value in taking a quarterback. And I brought up Baker Mayfield because similar to Daniel Jones, he had that revolving door around him. And that's why now all of a sudden, the Browns are moving on. They feel they're upgrading their situation. But I don't think the jury's done and brought in a verdict with respect to Baker. I think if Baker goes to the Indianapolis Colts or somewhere else where he's got a good offensive line or run game, he could still thrive. That's why it's not so simple to say, well, if this team would have taken this quarterback, they would have been in 10 times a better position. How do you know you would have had the same coaching impact? How do you know you would have had as good of an offensive line? How do you know you would have had as balanced of a roster? And while I do think the quarterback plays a significant role, don't get me wrong, Keep in mind, Josh Allen, using Buffalo as an example, played the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs, had a spectacular performance, and he still got an L. Was Josh Allen the only reason why the Bills lost to the Chiefs? The answer is no. So yes, while the quarterback has a significant amount of impact, you still need to make sure you handle your business outside of the quarterback. And I think the Giants know that firsthand, because even if you look at their two most recent Super Bowls, the defense had something to do with it in terms of getting after the opposing quarterback, the running game came alive. There were other things in addition to Eli Manning that helped them get to the promised land. Let's head back to the phone lines. Jesse is in Arizona joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's Hello, happening, Jesse? Lance. Hello, Jesse. Oh, and Paul is back. I have returned. There you have. After talking to all of the Giants' recent signees, and I'll fill you in on a bit of that in a second. Go ahead, Jesse. How are we doing, Jesse? Hi. Hi. How you doing, man? We're doing all right. What's on your mind? Good. Yeah, no, um, I just wanted to call in because, you know, I've been seeing a lot of rumors on the rumor mills and things like that about Saquon Barkley possibly being traded. And, you know, people are saying he hasn't lived up to being the second overall pick and, you know, just things of that sort. But these type of people that do have these comments or, you know, they have these opinions about Saquon, they have otherwise to say about Daniel Jones. So it's just, I was just kind of touching on it because, like you were saying, you know, on the last segment, those last two Super Bowls, our run game came alive. Um, you know, 
before Saquon, we had a pretty rough patch with running backs. Shane Vereen, Rashad Jennings, Andre Williams. Um, you know, moving on from Saquon, I think, would kind of be, you know, crazy. I saw that rumors were turned down by the Giants that Saquon wouldn't be pushed for a trade. But my thing is, uh, you know, with Daniel Jones obviously going into one of his last years on his contract, what do you think, like, his value would be for a trade? And, like, do you think the Giants would trade him? Well, you know, it goes back to similar to what I was talking about earlier with respect to how the market would play out for a quarterback. Let's say we go down the road that you're talking about, Jesse. Okay, so right now most yep. teams have either acquired a quarterback via trade or they're looking ahead to the draft in terms of addressing that position. So you have to take into consideration the market, even if you consider trading Daniel Jones, okay? Sure. You're not having a huge amount of interest because most teams have addressed that position. That's number one. Number two, you have to consider he's been hurt for now three straight seasons. He's missed at least two starts. So what team sure. is going to want to roll the dice and taking on a player that has some baggage with injury if they could then say, I'll take a younger guy in the draft. I can roll the dice as much as on a guy in the draft in terms of health as I would with Daniel Jones. So I don't think that his value within the market is so high that you'd be getting an unbelievable splash return. That would be my answer to sure. you. In short, his value to the Giants right now is far greater than it is to anybody else in the league. Exactly. Yep. I see that. You know, I, I, I definitely see that. I, I could definitely, definitely see that. And I also agree with, you know, when you were saying that, you know, we did just sign Tyrod Taylor to that two-year deal, so it would kind of be null to get a quarterback in the draft. But uh, my thing is, Obviously, like Daniel Jones not having trade value, also his playing, you know, and how he's played, you know, ball security, uh, him forcing it into these windows. Um, I feel, you know, the team he's had in front of him, you know, like you were saying, compared to Eli with, you know, maybe him misreading receivers or throwing it in the wrong spot, them not being where they need to be. I feel like Daniel Jones honestly has had, you know, a lot more utility players. Like, I'm obviously not a big Dave Gettleman fan, and I feel like he didn't draft too well you know with finding like you said those big impact players but I feel that you know he has had a good amount of utility players you know like uh, Darius Slayton speedster in his you know first year he was tied for second in receiving touchdowns um you know we did sign Kenny Galladay bad year no offense coordinator but he's had all these weapons and I just feel you know he can't force he can't force those games into you know overtime he can't get us in those winning positions just because you know it does go back to, I feel, the school he went to uh, and things like that, you know, and the, him not having a winning record at Duke and things of that sort. So his trade value also would probably de be diminished just because of his, you know, play, correct? I mean, even if he has a takeoff year this year, I feel like we would still have no trade value out of him. Right? I don't even know why you're thinking about trading Daniel Jones. That's a preposterous idea right now based on the fact that the organization is committed to building with him in 2022 i mean you know to even think about this right now doesn't make any sense and as far as jones at duke he had nothing around him he had a horrible group of receivers he had a terrible offensive line is it any wonder that maybe he wasn't more of a risk taker or more of a big play quarterback when you consider who he played with and what has he played with with the giants 
He's had banged up running backs. He's had banged up wide receivers. He's had tight ends who were either hurt or dropped the ball. He's had an offensive line that looked like Swiss cheese. Exactly what opportunity has he has he had to go out and ball out and show you how good he can be? Okay, well, no, that is a very good point. But for instance, his first year, 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. That's not a bad rap. We've only gotten better. Our offensive line stats have only gotten better as the years have gone on. You, you saw this the offensive line this past, this past fall? Did you watch that offensive line when they had guys coming no, yeah, in off the did. street? You saw that? And you think that line was better than it was that three was years awesome. ago? But you have to keep in mind you have to keep in mind that's also us going through a coaching change. We, we decided to go with an offensive coordinator that was not meant for the team to begin with. It's obviously decisions made at the top. But we could also argue this. Daniel Jones being picked at six. Who was the sixth overall pick the following year? Justin Herbert. He doesn't have a, a top stellar line like, let's say, Oakland. I mean, Dallas just lost a couple pieces. Tampa's O-line's looking good. Cincy's O-line has stepped up. Yeah, but There's in each really case, any- you're naming teams that have skill position players who make plays on the back ends of those throws. Who exactly in the last couple of years has made plays when when he's thrown the ball to them? The Giants have really had a lot of trouble with skill position guys who would make plays for their quarterback. That has been a problem here now for a few years. Shepard's been hurt. Galladay was signed to do that. He was hurt. Ingram's been hurt, and he drops passes. Slayton's played hurt for the last two years. And Barkley, Tony didn't play. Barkley's been hurt for much of the last couple of years, and Tony missed most of the season last year, or at least half of it. So exactly what playmakers did he have to make plays for him? Are you going to get out on the field and make catches for him? Hey, if they give me the opportunity, I'd be more than happy to. I'm a diehard Giants fan. They give me that opportunity, I'll take a hundred dollars contract and be out there tomorrow. <laughs> and you know what? If you can, if you can make plays, I'll give you a phone number to Joe Shane. How about that? Gear up and get hey, ready for I, the start of the God, spring and training me, camp. My yeah. brothers, my cousins. Well, they need guys who are going to help the quarterback out and make plays for their passer. That is something the Giants really have not had now in a number of years. Let's see if they can get these guys healthy and on the field, give Daniel a little time to throw it, and then you tell me if he can or cannot make that jump to the next level. Yeah, it's a combination, Jesse, and we appreciate the phone call. It's a variety of factors. It's Daniel staying healthy. It's Daniel's decision-making and getting used to this new scheme. And then the last piece is the talent around Daniel Jones. And can that group stay on the field? It's been very up and down in terms of the receiving core. Paul just ran you through it. Well-documented. The offensive line has changed. Guys got hurt on the offensive line last season. So those are the three characteristics that you're looking for to finally all come together in 2022 so you can truly evaluate him. You can maybe see his potential and determine what you want to do moving forward. But, you know, right now, having dreams of grandeur that you can get tremendous value for a player when we're already into free agency, the draft is coming up, is just impractical. It's no different than the school of thought with Saquon Barkley. You're going to have the draft coming up where teams can address the running back position, Paul. You've already have teams that have addressed that position. To just get rid of a player for the sake of getting rid of a player, to me, just makes absolutely no sense when you can maybe get use of him within your new scheme and tap into that. You know, Lance, go back to Eli's best seasons, or at least if you just want to pick out his Super Bowl seasons. 
Look at the guys who made plays on the other end of those passes for him. I mean, in 2011, look, I'm the biggest Eli fan going. I I believe he's a no-brainer first ballot Hall of Famer. But look what he had in 2011 when he led that team on his back to a Super Bowl championship. 2007, he had a little more help. But in 2011, that running game didn't really start clicking and getting functional and running when it needed to run until the very end of the season into the playoffs. It was really Manningham, Knicks, and Cruz. But timing is everything in football. Well, yeah, but but, but what it comes down to, those guys made plays for him. Sure, absolutely. Every quarterback, your best quarterbacks, always have guys who helped him by making plays on the other end of the passes. Because remember, once that ball leaves his hand, it's out of his control. Now it's up to his teammates to finish off the play. And the Giants haven't had a threesome at wide receiver like that. Jeez, I've, I've had this conversation with a lot of people. The Manningham Knicks Cruz threesome may have been the best trio of wide receivers the Giants ever had on one team. Well, and then you also throw in the defensive playmakers, too. Let's not forget about them as well. That helps the quarterback win football games. It's not just the offensive personnel. And I think that needs to be involved in this conversation with respect to Daniel Jones in terms of can the defense make consistent plays with their new defensive well, coordinator, yeah. Don Marnendale, as well. That that all helps season. in the overall yeah. scope of winning and losing. But I guess what I'm saying, if Mario Manningham doesn't make that catch on the sideline against the Patriots in the Super Bowl, is anybody talking about Eli Manning making perhaps the greatest throw in postseason history? No, not no, at all. They're not saying if, David, if David Tyree doesn't make the helmet catch, maybe we're not talking about a touchdown to Plexigo Burris yeah, as well. But what I'm saying so, is people don't look at that as the greatest throw. They look at it as a great escape and then a great catch. I don't know that Eli gets a lot of credit for the actual throw. He does for the Manningham play. For the Manningham play, I have heard many veteran NFL people say that was the greatest throw in postseason history because it was absolutely pinpoint. That was all Eli, and Manningham just had to catch it. Yeah, no, all fair points. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it just goes back to there's a variety of factors that contribute to a quarterback having success in the regular season, the postseason. It's not just them on an island. I've said that multiple times. Now, before we wrap up, there have been a few Giants transactions, so let's just at least briefly go over that, Paul, before we close up shop. We mentioned Matt Breida earlier. The Giants have also announced that they've added linebacker Jihad Ward, who's a veteran who's been with a variety of teams over the course of his career. He's not necessarily a big sack guy, but this is somebody that also will add depth in terms of their rotational defensive playmakers. And this fits, once again, into the theme of the Giants looking for good deals and depth as they finalize this roster for 2022. You know what's funny? I'm not sure why they're calling him a linebacker. (laughs) I just got done talking to him. And he's like 6'5", 290. He's not a linebacker. He is a, yeah. he is a defensive end who can also play some three technique inside. And it was funny because I asked him about Leonard Williams, who right now is one of the ultimate guys in terms of playing defensive end and also sliding down inside in pass rush mode. And he, he, this, this guy, I mean, they call him the live wire because of his energy. And he inspires guys by just exploding at practice and on the field. Uh, a very, very popular teammate. 
and one of those guys who you just want to hop on his shoulders and ride the wave. Real fun guy to talk to, and I, I he can't say enough about Wink Martindale, which is obviously a major reason why he's here. Yeah, they were together, just want to clarify, for two seasons in Baltimore, 2019 and 2020. Exactly. Yeah, so that's the latest addition for the Giants on the defensive side of the ball. We'll certainly get more into that on Tuesday's program as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. A reminder that today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants platforms everywhere, giants.com slash podcast as well. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Stay locked to giants.com for all the latest, and we'll speak to you on Tuesday at noon Eastern right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.